Sit downs with Sam. Hello, campers, and welcome to episode four of Sit Downs with Sam. This week, I am sitting down with longtime um, Easter Seal staff member, Amanda St. Dennis. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. Love to. Awesome. So um, just a rundown for you that, um, and for listeners that might be new this week, uh, the purpose of this podcast is to um, catch up with some old camp favorites in terms of staff and uh, um, former campers as well and get their uh, get to know them a little bit better, um, have the opportunity to ask them about their experiences at camp um, and how camp has shaped their everyday life um, and some of their future goals and aspirations as well. So thanks so much for taking time out to be here with us today. And, Happy uh, to. Thank you. And the, the first question we have um, is a camper question. So uh, a lot of people know you worked here for years, um, but were you ever a camper yourself? I unfortunately didn't get to be a camper at Easter Seals in part because my dad was military. So we moved around a lot. Um, and as such, and most of our moves happened in the summer. So as such, um, it's really hard to attend summer camp when you don't really have roots uh, to any one location. Um, and although I do have physical disability, um, much of my early teens was dealt with uh, dealing with some mental health issues, which um, uh, were more important at the time than recreation and physical disability support. And so how did you, how did you hear about camp? So I entered Algonquin College in the fall of 2008 after graduating high school. And I went to school to become a developmental services worker and two part kind of finding out. So A, uh, one of my profs used to be way back, like way, 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 way back when used to be the director of um, Easter Seals Marywood. Um, Carl, um, and so he mentioned it in his uh, in his very many stories within his teachings. But then um, Easter Seals Ontario also advertised through our Algonquin's Career Services, and I came across the uh, job posting. Um, this was still before they were all online, so they were uh, on the outside of Career Services door, and I jumped at the chance, and I never left. I kept coming back. And can you share with, with our listeners uh, what made you want to come back? What made you stick around for so long? Magic. It, Marywood is this magical peninsula. And we, we all say that. We say that to parents. We say that to new campers. We say that to returners. But, oh, and a lot of people might think that we're joking, but for someone like myself who never had community, never really had friendships, um, had acquaintances, had people who I got along with, but I got the opportunity at Marywood to not only thrive, but to ensure that campers thrived. But some of the oldest campers actually became friends and I'm still friends with them today. Um, case in point, you ironically, <laughs> your last year as a camper was my first summer. Um, so full circle, like 
it was because of Marywood and it's because of that magic that where anything's possible that kept me coming back. I even flew down from Yellowknife, Northwest Territories for two years because I wouldn't, I didn't want to be anywhere else. I could have easily applied to Alberta and probably got accepted with my experience, but I didn't want to. I wanted to be back at home. Can you talk uh, a little bit about um, the camp, the camp community and uh, kind of how it became, I heard you say the word home, you wanted to be home. Can you talk about how um, Mary Woods maybe became a bit of a second home for you and, and what you, what you got out of camp community? I got out of camp that I was capable prior to Mary Wood. I could not hold down a job or when I could, it would be for about a year. Um, in part, that's because of societal expectations of disability, um, in part, just not the right job. But Mary Wood, on the other hand, each year, I so I was camp counselor for eight years. I then started a brand new program my year nine, and then year 10, I was a, basically a kind of a floater to assist. But and so there was that added responsibility that came naturally. Uh, and it also came naturally in training ex exercises and um, how we utilize the team to train. But it's also a place where we have to rely on each other. And I'm not meaning just staff. Um, there were days where I was having a bad day and I can guarantee you some of the campers that had had me numerous times knew that and they would wheel up to me and just start talking because they knew that the easiest way to get me out of a bad mood was to distract me and we relied on each other like the number of times even just me cracking a joke uh knocked someone out of feeling homesick or um they were scared to go on out trip or try kayaking for the first time. Marywood is a place where we rely on each other to push each other um, outside of our comfort zones, outside of what's comfortable, what's norm. Um, Marywood allows a lot of us to do things we can't do anywhere else. Um, I can't work a lot of different types of camps because they're not accessible. Uh, their rocky terrain, their, the expectations are too high for someone with a disability. Whereas because Marywood is all accessible, like even our lodge with, yes, an elevator up to the uh, uh, top floor, but every inch of Marywood is accessible. And if not, we find a way to make it so. So it made it a place where even places I called home are often not accessible. So Marywood became that safe space. And I think it's a safe space for campers as well. It's that place to explore and to be ourselves. Absolutely. I, I think to, um, you know, for myself, uh, camp became a place of, of peer support. Um, when I was when I was a camper, having the opportunity um, to share like-minded experiences um, with like-minded folks, folks that were um, dealing with uh, you know 
every, everyone was dealing with something different, but everyone had, um, you know, similar experiences that they could draw upon to kind of um, help each other get through tough moments. Um, and I think that's what's so uh, wonderful um, for both of us. I think especially you, because you were here for so long, um, having the opportunity to, you know, watch kids with disabilities grow up, take them under your wing, um, teach them the ropes and essentially, you know, be a, a really important role model in their, in their development as people. Um, and I think that was probably uh, one of your strongest skills in all the time that we worked together was your ability to draw on common experiences um, and really, really show people um, that anything is possible as long as you're willing to willing to accept help. And, and um, I think that's one of the powerful things that we get to do is oftentimes is people with disabilities were used to getting help all the time, but also having the opportunity um, to give care ourselves, I think is, is really therapeutic in a way too. Yeah. Um, the number of student number of campers that I helped become university college students because I'd done the application, been there, done that. Uh, same with university, although it came later for me. Uh, uh, being able to help problem solve those advocacy skills because we can learn those in high school, but until you have to use them, it doesn't mean anything. So I would have some of them practicing with me at camp, walking through some of the scenarios and we would do it on hang time uh, because they wanted to and they were nervous, but they knew that I had been through it, done, been there, done that. And I think that's important. It was a, it, it was a sense of community. And I think it was also my first real idea of cross-disability culture and cross-disability community, um, which I got to learn more about when I took up disability studies. But camp was definitely that first place where I felt not the loner, not the one who was different, because in actuality, the ones who are the most different are actually the non-disabled staff um, in this scenario. So it, it I was just as similar to campers as anyone else. Can, can you talk a little bit about, because obviously um, when both of us worked together for a lot of years, um, as people with disabilities on staff, we are uh, the minority in a way. Um, can you talk about uh, the uniqueness of your perspective and maybe how um, you could connect with campers on a different level um, because of your lived experience as a person with a disability? So th there's a bit of a twofold in that question. I think I also have the unique position of being able to be in part that first introduction to disability to staff during staff training. Um, I know you and I both got lifted way too many times to count into random boats and um, chairs and beds because we can give that actual experience. Um, so there's that. And I think that's a valued perspective. perspective. Uh, I found it much more real to lift you into wherever than it was to just lift someone who could help because it's not exactly the same feeling. But it was the same with, with campers. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite memories is it was out of my third or fourth summer and one of the campers 
used to kayak regularly with the staff in the back and she really, really wanted to try doing it solo, but she was nervous, which rightly so, like it's, you're controlling a boat. But then she heard that I actually kayaked. Um, and although she was a little more severely impacted by cerebral palsy, we had some very similar strengths and weaknesses in terms of how our bodies moved in space. And so she kind of was like, well, if you can do it, then I can. And she did it. And apparently it was the highlight of her first summer. So yes, any staff could have encouraged her, but the fact that we had such similarities in how our body moved and the fact that I could do it and I was capable of doing it kind of gave her the confidence to try that I don't think someone who is not disabled would have been able to give her. Um, I think it would have been, although well-meaning and true, it could have also come across as, well, just try, just just try. Like, it, whereas me, it was, you can do this. Like, you are capable of doing this. Here's what I do, this is what works for me. Um, whereas someone who without that lived experience can't necessarily give that same advice and strategies and adaptations because they're not doing it themselves. Yeah, very well said. Um, I noticed that you had mentioned um, that you're very uh, prominently um, interested in disability studies, something as well that I'm very passionate um, with too. Can you talk about um, maybe, if at all, if your experience as a camp made you want to um, go into that line of research? 120%, um, uh, without a doubt. So I ended up going to university for major in child studies with a minor disability studies. And my child studies program, although great, and I say that sort of, sarcastically, um, touched on a lot of different identities, uh, race, religion, culture, um, but very much missed the mark on disabilities up until my very final year. Um, and even that it wasn't great, done greatly. So I made an effort to install disability in almost every single undergrad paper I wrote for child studies um, and for other courses as well. Um, but I did an entire, case in point, I did an entire undergrad paper on the importance of having a segregated recreation experience like Easter Seals. Um, and how as much as society tries to push the agenda of inclusion that inclusion is not everything. Inclusion can't always give you that community that you need to thrive. Um, inclusion doesn't always give you those friendships that will last forever. Um, so I did, and I did that, and I had the choice to do it, and I did. I also took disability studies as my minor because I wanted to learn more. I wanted to do a more in-depth dive of understanding of what disability was what disability looks like. Um, it has continued to shape what I do um, in terms of current volunteer activities and current hopes for my life. Uh, but I don't think I would have gotten there without Marywood, without Easter Seals.
I, I think, you know, to that point of, um, of the, you know, uh, kind of divide a little bit of, um, you know, as you say, the, the segregated recreation experience as opposed to um, the integrated one, I think it all kind of loops back to peer support, right? And having the opportunity um, to share those like-minded experiences in a, in a way um, that at a, uh, you know, another day camp um, without a specific focus on um, assisting children and youth with disabilities, you, you would kind of miss out on that, uh, right? So I think that's a, that's a very, uh, very needed point to make, absolutely. And um, can you can you talk about uh, some of your other um, like recreation experiences you had? I, I know that you're um, very heavily involved uh, in recent years in horseback riding. Um, can you talk about uh, what that experience has been like for you? I know that I did horseback riding when I was uh, much younger. Can you talk about maybe what it's been like for you to uh, engage with it as an adult? So it's it's probably my pride and joy right now. It's it's what has helped me get through this pandemic. It is what has helped me um, stay at least somewhat fit. But I I think without the skills that even working as a staff um, at Marywood, I think it would have been a lot harder to engage in an activity like this. I do not ride at a barn for people with disabilities. They do accept people with disabilities. No, not like not a problem, but I'm one of probably two adults with somewhat higher needs, one being blind and then myself. Um, so I've had to advocate from the very beginning. And I kind of jokingly say that I train people to be able to assist me because I can't explain it over and over and over again. It gets exhausting. But it's freedom. It's the same feeling that I felt at Marywood. When you put me on the back of a horse, it's freedom because I can move faster. I can do things on my pony's four legs that I can't do on two. Um, it's great physical therapy for me uh, without making it feel monotonous or losing my interest because I also have ADHD. So um, interest is a big one. Um, physio exercises usually failed because I'd forget to do them and then would forget how to do them. Whereas with um, horseback riding, I can't really forget how to ride a horse. I can't forget how to give cues. I can't forget how my feet need to be. So, but engaging it as an adult is different. And as much as I love horseback riding, I've tried to engage in other sports and other rec opportunities as an adult with numerous disabilities. And unfortunately in the Ottawa area, there's few opportunities. Um, I tried to get involved with para-alpine skiing, uh, but couldn't because I didn't have a volunteer. Um, and it seemed very limited to if you were a kid, great. If you were an adult, well, you should have gotten involved as a kid. Um, whereas, which isn't the greatest philosophy and uh, is often the philosophy of disability as you age, uh, unfortunately. Um, so the fact that I have horseback riding is huge. It's someone saying, okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to 
figure out how to get you on. Uh, we're going to figure out how to get you off with as little injury as possible. We're going to figure out what you need uh, to ride. And that's huge, especially after trying to go into Paralpine and getting absolutely nowhere. Uh, and uh, right before the pandemic. And can you talk about, um, you know, uh, ways that you feel uh, could help better support, um, you know, particularly uh, teens and young adults as they begin to transition from uh, their younger years as, as children, teens and youth um, to their uh, lives as adults. And I, I absolutely agree with you that I find um, the amount of support uh, offered to um, children and youth and teens is, is wonderful, it's plentiful. Um, but then uh, once you reach a certain age, um, you know, there's much more of an onus um, put, on, put on you as that young person to kind of figure everything out as you go. Um, what, do you, what do you think are some things that any organization could do um, to help their, their children and youth have a bit of a smoother transition um, into the next stage in their life? I would love to see organizations helping youth. I would love to see, case in point, I would love to see Easter Seals have a way of providing youth that are aging out with the contacts for the people they need to reach out to for the next steps. Um, I would love to see medical practitioners doing the same thing. Um, some, some children get a great tra medical transition. Uh, some don't, but it tends to be the more severe needs that more needs that you have, you tend to get more support, at least somewhat transitioning. Whereas someone like myself with some very mild needs when I was a kid, I didn't get a transition. Um, I've had to find doctors on my own. I've had to find rec opportunities on my own. So I would love to see organizations out there that are supporting children and youth with disabilities to help them bridge that gap, to help support them in finding those next connections. Um, not necessarily doing it for them, but helping give that support of here's who to reach out for out to, here's someone who might have programs for you. Um, here's contact information. Um, because it can be exhausting to live with a disability, but it can also be exhausting to do the research that you need to do in order to get the care that you need. And unfortunately, society still thinks of as care as only medical. They're not including recreational, social, spiritual, um, educational supports. And unless you know how to research um, and have those skills, it's really hard to navigate the system. Um, and I know that there are people that working really, really hard to change that in some uh, um, in certain uh, organizations and certain systems like medical system. Like I know that there's a lot of research going on around transition in the medical system. And that's in part because I'm involved in some of that discussion, but there isn't as much in say recreation. The fact that I had to find someone and the fact that I was basically denied access to some to recreation as an adult um, says a lot. It says a lot about what 
society thinks as disability, um, they often forget that disabled children become disabled adults. We're not going to all of a sudden outgrow our disability. That's not reality. That's not real. Um, and unfortunately, services just haven't kept up. And uh, can you uh, can you maybe talk about um, some of the some of the current work that you're doing? Um, because I know obviously you've uh, transitioned away. Um, from working at Easter Seals, and I know you've recently graduated from your university program as well. Um, can you talk about yeah. um, the work that you're currently doing and, and how your experience with a disability has probably um, guided you towards that chosen career path? So my career path currently is a little um, messed up in part because of the pandemic. I graduated from Carleton University with high distinctions um, in 2020 at the height of the pandemic. Um, so finding a job in normal, in quote unquote normal times uh, outside of a pandemic is hard enough with a disability at a pandemic and it's near impossible unfortunately. So I've been doing actually a lot of public speaking. I've advised work regarding outdoor recreation for the Child Canadian Child and Nature Alliance of Canada um, at the uh, request of my brother. I have done, I did a speech on mental health and disability to a fifth grade class uh, through Zoom because of remote schooling. So they were in Durham region and I was in Ottawa. Um, and then I'm now just recently working a summer position with Dover Court uh, Rec Center um, with their um, day camps, working as an inclusion counselor. So I am assisting um, children who need a little more one-on-one -on -one support to be fully included within a mainstream day camp environment. Um, and then I'm also working with uh, McMaster Universe, University, um, specifically CanChild Research Center for Childhood Disability, and specifically CPNet, working on as an as a volunteer advisor on their community advisory panel, um, as well as working as a co-investigator on a research study regarding youth participation in research. So I've been keeping busy, but my path of employment and my career ideals um, keep evolving. Um, I really want to do something along the lines of accessibility. Um, don't know what that looks like yet. There's been talks of starting a, my own business. There's talks of trying to still get in with public service, but I kind of have to wait for this pandemic to settle itself uh, before I can really make big moves because they don't really exist. Um, I still have to fight a system that although says that they want to hire more people with disabilities has a really hard time hiring people with disabilities. Um, so uh, I just kind of have to wait it out. So I'm doing a lot, but I'm not doing a lot. <laughs> well, I, I think I, I think I hear a lot of um, a lot of advocacy going on. I, I hear a lot of um, a big emphasis in recreation for children with disabilities, which is always um, majorly and also um, all of the, the research that's happening, right? 
um, and yeah, I think just going to back to what I was saying, um, you having uh, your input in all those different aspects of disability is so important. Um, particularly, you know, all the all the research that I hear you're doing, um, because the the thought of nothing about us without us is particularly um, crucial in disability research, right? So um, to have your voice there, to have to have your extensive experience as an advocate there, um, I think can't be understated. So uh, keep up the amazing work. And I, I think uh, the, the next thing I wanted to um, discuss, which I, I think uh, would be great for our campers to hear, would be great for um, parents and anyone listening. Um, you mentioned that oftentimes, um, you know, even an organization like the uh, like the Canadian government really is making a push towards a more accessible and inclusive um, working environment, trying their best to um, enact accessibility legislation to make um, workplaces more accessible and welcoming, um, and are trying to hire more people with disabilities um, at all levels of government and um, just in all levels of society. Can you talk about um, because I, I know you had said you've encountered um, some barriers of, or some difficulties to that effect. What do you think needs to change um, for that evolution to keep progressing? I think I think it's now past lip service. Um, people can say that they're hiring more, that the goal is to hire more, but I, I'm finding a lot of the hiring processes are really not disability friendly. Um, so it's really hard to attain and hire people if said people can't even get through the hiring process. Um, and I'm not going to call out any certain organization, um, federal service, um, federal public service. Yeah, I'm calling you out. Um, and I'm calling them out in particular because they say that by 2024, they want 5,000 or 50,000, some big number of people with disabilities hired, but I argue that you can't hire if you can't get through a hiring process. Um, you've got to remember that people with disabilities often will um, have limited energy to put towards certain activities. So the harder things are, the more that we have to juggle and the more, at least in my case, the more I have to juggle with fatigue and pain and concentration levels. Um, but I also think there needs to be a lot of discussion around, yes, we can be hired, but what are the systematic, what are the historical barriers that are still in place that make hiring harder? For example, in Ottawa, a big one is bilingualism. Um, so, and I think this is important for parents to hear as well, that uh, uh, historically schools um, have liked to push people with disabilities out of taking by um, French classes past the required high school level or even not at all. Um, and unfortunately, it means that as we get older, it could be detrimental to getting employment or make getting employment a lot harder. So it's, it's I, I think employers need to know that there are barriers and barriers that don't involve them, that impact them. But I also think parents and children with disabilities need to know that sometimes choices that made 
in the best of interests with the best of intentions can sometimes make things a lot harder unless you have a backup plan. Like, do you have money to hire a one-on-one -on -one tutor to help teach you the French language if that's what you need? Or do you have connections on how to get a job coach? Um, or so there, there's barriers to employment that I think a lot of people wouldn't consider barriers to employment because they don't directly impact the now. But they're there. <laughs> Very well said. I, th I don't think. Don't be uh, me. Don't find um, out when you're 31. I think that's. Uh, and again, I think your um, your experience, having been around, having been around the block, is so is so important, so that you can you can raise these red flags and and use your voice to make changes, right? So, um, and I guess just to. Um, just to end off, I think we have time for um, for one more um, question, and I I want to know um, what you hope the future holds for uh, Easter Seals as an as an organization, particularly um, you know in post pandemic life. Uh, what what improvements? What changes? Uh, what things would you like to see in a perfect world from Easter Seals? Um, you know, moving onward and upward uh, past the pandemic? I would love to see support for those that are older than the camp system. I would love to see, be that actual support, be that resource support to help bridge that transition, um, be that whatever that looks like. And that can look like many different things, um, community connections um, and such. I would also love to see a continuation of an online version of camp. I think the online version of camp has actually opened so many doors for so many people. Um, we're able to do things that you can't do in person. I think in-person camp is 100% necessary and I do not want the pandemic to take that away forever. Um, but I also think there are opportunities to engage in community, to engage in support outside of that summer vacation, summer camp experience. Um, I think some of my faves has been the winter camp, the spring break camp. Um, if you think about it, those are two timeframes in non-disabled world where there are camps going on, though there are camps happening, but unfortunately many of them are not accessible to many, many children with disabilities. So by having a virtual option that engaged children and being able to have community and being able to have activities that could be easily made it more accessible or tailored to them. I think these kids had something to talk about when they returned back to screen, uh, back to school, be it virtual or be it in person. They had something to share with their friends, much like we say that Easter Seals camps are important because for some kids, they may be the only disabled student in their class, in their school. And they go back at, 
every September or every end of August and they hear about their friends going to summer camp. And now because they've come to Easter Seals, they can share, oh, I went to camp too. I went canoeing. I went to the beach. If it's so important after the summer break, why is it not important after the Christmas break and or holiday break or the March break? Um, and I think, so I would love to see some sort of virtual camp continue in some format I would because of the, just how inclusive it can be um but I also really want to continue to support people transitioning uh, I can only imagine in my 10 years at camp how hard that transition was for many of our campers who turned a certain age and then had nowhere to go um, didn't know where to turn, didn't really know what supports were out there. They had to find them themselves. And um, I know I've had a similar conversation with a few others within Easter Seals Ontario on this exact topic of what can we do to support. Because yes, we could increase the age range, but um, I also believe that we need to do better at advertising to younger campers about how amazing Easter Seals Ontario is both as a service provider and providing donations towards funding of equipment and such, as well as a recreation option for children. So I think there's a lot of that and I think there needs to be done better um, in, in certain areas of our province. Um, again, conversation I've had with a few other different people. Um, but I think Easton Seals has weathered the pandemic a lot better than a lot of organizations. Are they perfectly where they were before pandemic? No, but I don't think anybody is. I think the pandemic has forced us all to change. But now what needs to be seen is, is it change for the better? And I think Easter Seals could do that. Absolutely. I think I think I've been, um, you know, quite impressed with the adaptability of the organization and, and their willingness to change. Um, and I think that, um, you know, in terms of, I can say that uh, there are very much, um, you know, sustained talks in terms of having both in-person camp and virtual camp um, running in the future and also keeping up with the year round um, virtual engagement, which I think, you know, for both of us um, and that have kind of grown up around camp, that was that was never something that was offered pre-pandemic. Um, and there, there has definitely been a gap that's been um, that's been filled and it's really been appreciated um, by children and families um, during the pandemic. But as you say, even in a non-pandemic situation, um, there are there are quite a few campers um, that may only be able to attend things like family camp or um, things like that. So having the opportunity to engage year round with the camp community, I think is um, one of the biggest successes of, of the organization um, in coming out the other side of the pandemic. I think Easter Seals Ontario has shown the importance of what community is and what community can look like. And that community doesn't have to be brick and mortar in person, big groups of people, that it can be small groups, it can be online, it can be check-ins. Um, 
from volunteers that there's a wide range that community can take place and the irony of that statement is that that is actually very much rooted in the disability justice movement in that we help each other we do what we can to help each other everybody has their strengths everybody has their limitations and it's using those strengths and using those limitations to create community and i think east Seals ontario has shown that with a little bit of adaptability and a little bit of creativity that community can still be sustained even when we're apart i think that is a, a perfect um point to end off on um, so I wanted to thank you again so much uh, for taking the time to chat with me today um, and, you know, for just um, sharing your experiences and, and um, you know, giving, giving a lot of, of substance to each one of your answers. So I really appreciate how thorough you've been in all of your explanations and, and for just taking time out of your day um, to share your thoughts with us. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. For Cecil Ontario, I will bend over backwards and do anything. So thanks. Well, thank you so much. And um, for campers uh, that are interested, these um, podcasts will continue um, over the course of the summer. And we're going to have a new uh, guest every week. So um, look out for another surprise guest next week. And um, we will be sure, hopefully, uh, a lot of you have the opportunity to sit down and listen to Amanda's wonderful thoughts. So thank you again, Amanda, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye now.